Hello and welcome to No More Mr. Nice Guy. Super psyched for this episode today. I get to interview a very dear friend and world changer, Matt Hill. He coaches men to overcome pornography addiction. He is doing incredible work in the world. He is also a self-described recovering nice guy. We get to hear his whole story, what it was like living as a nice guy for years and years, and what it actually took to overcome that and to step into his aligned path and just to start showing up in the world actually as Matt. This was a very fun one. Off we go. I want to talk to you for so many reasons, but mainly because we help and support a similar group doing slightly different things. We'll get into the specifics of your work. And because you and I both understand nice guy syndrome and also understand what is on the other side of it. And I think that's going to be really exciting for us to jump into. So please, without further ado, will you tell us what got you to this very moment here as a coach doing the work that you do? Uh, so 39 years old, so plenty of life under my belt and plenty more uh, look forward to. With that, grew up an athlete, played every sport, uh, baseball through college. And then shortly into that, got into sales, sold a couple different industries, tech sales, most recently in the, the consulting talent space. So it's three and a half years as a partner of a consulting firm. Things were going great, but as you and I have been talking about, then it felt right at this moment then to hit the eject button on that and to free up 100% of my time to get into coaching. Roy Vaden's a guy who take people into transitioning in industries and what they're going to do next in their life and what they want to do when they grow up kind of a thing. The, the most powerful line that he shared is that you were most powerfully positioned to serve the person that you once were. That's why I'm excited to get into coaching because 100% of my time can be committed to speaking to 18-year-old Matt, 25-year-old Matt, 30-year-old Matt, 39-year-old Matt. And because I know what that guy feels like and I know what he's going through and, and I feel like I have something to offer him. Yes. What was younger Matt going through that you're no longer going through? So younger Matt growing up as an athlete, I was really good at appearing very confident. I was pretty socially adept. So I was pretty good at showing up in a room and being able to present myself in an attractive way that drew people around me. And so with that, it was really easy for me to wear that mask. It wasn't fake in any way, but it was a lot of pressure (laughs) constantly operating as this guy that's got it all together and is super confident. And nobody's 100% confident. We all have our insecurities and fears and doubts. A big part of what I'm excited about and passionate about with men is late in my teens, I was introduced to pornography, as most people are, and it really got a hold of me. It became a way for me to really eject from life and numb, medicate from a lot of the pressure that I was putting on myself to be this perfect person, to show up in a certain way for people. As we know, with any addiction that is going to work with those chemicals in the body, it grew a larger and larger foothold in my life to where it became a very big presence in my life that I was very ashamed of, felt very guilty of, that I was hiding in the background. And so just white knuckling the heck out of things, right? 
what I didn't realize is I thought in this time I can show up, be like really fully mat and have this on the side. And what I didn't realize is I had that shame and guilt and it was coming through where I was just very passive. I was very fearful in a lot of the ways. I lacked ambition, focus, confidence. So I just didn't trust myself. I was a really, really nice guy. People like to be around and I knew people like to be around him because I would be very aware of what type of person wouldn't rock the boat, wouldn't make any waves. And then I would show up how I felt they would want me to show up. And I guess the last thing I'll say on this is as we talk about this nice guy, because I consider myself a recovering nice guy, most nice guys, you know, are people pleasers and most people pleasers start as parent pleasers. And so I grew up really, really obsessed with making my parents happy with me. Then that continued to extend itself into my adulthood where my identity, my safety, my relevance and impact and way to show up in the world was just contingent upon, do you like me? To a point where if you would ask me, who are you? You got an opinion on this? What are your thoughts? That kind of thing. Nope. What's your opinion? Cool. That's my opinion. And maybe not so drastic to that extent, but generally that's kind of how it's showing up in the world. If you could give us a snapshot of, let's say, 30-year-old Matt, what were the qualities of him? I knew the man that I respected. The man that I respected was a leader. He's protective. He had direction in life, creative, strong, provider for their family, strong social skills, drive. They were encouraging, charismatic, confident, high energy. They took action. I knew that's the type of man I respected. So intellectually, consciously, that's the man that I wanted to present. I didn't feel like that man. That was really, really hard because there's a constant tug of war going on inside of me of the man that I wanted to be and was very attracted to and wanted to put forward and kind of felt like I could be and the man that I actually felt like I was, which I didn't like that guy. I was kind of ashamed of that guy. I was very passive. I was very submissive in a lot of ways, inactive. I followed more than I led. I was codependent, especially in my romantic relationships agreeable to the degree that I lacked boundaries and a sense of what's good and safe and being able to actually analyze and operate from that. And then generally, if I were to sum it up, I just felt energetically small. I didn't feel like I could take up space. I felt guilty for taking up space in a room. Now I could overcome that knowing that all those things are not desirable. So I'm going to fake it to an extent, but there's a difference in showing up in that way because you want to show up in that way and showing up in that way because that's how you are and you know it and you own it and you feel it. There's no pressure and stress in just showing up how you are, but there's a lot of pressure in showing up how you think you should. I don't want that for anybody. I want everybody to experience freedom from that stress and just to be able to show up as their biggest and best self. Such a great description. And how much would you connect your nice guy to your addiction at the time? Hugely, yeah. Pornography and that addiction to it became an escape from a life that I didn't really enjoy. And you don't need to escape something that you're not enjoying. I wasn't building. I wasn't creating anything. I wasn't really showing up in a way that I was excited about. So as a result, why wouldn't I go to something that is going to give me dopamine to the hilt? 
and is going to make me feel good. It's going to affirm me in that moment without me actually having to do anything. Getting dopamine in a natural way from achievement and growth and learning something from failure and then succeeding. And instead, I just circumvented that, was getting dopamine in another way and then became addicted to that. And then began believing the lies in my head that I can't do those other things, which creates this whole cycle of guilt and shame and distrust of yourself. And it was absolutely connected. What got me out of addiction to pornography and freed me from it wasn't internet filters and accountability buddies. Um, I tried that and it didn't work. What got me out of the addiction is just raising my frequency to where I wasn't believing those lies anymore. I didn't have that identity of this passive, insecure, untrustworthy guy. When I started believing, oh, that's actually who I am, the low frequency things around looking at pornography didn't make sense anymore. It didn't fit in my world. That's not something mm -hmm. that a guy like that would entertain because it's just, it's garbage. I would obviously aspire and attain and do things that do matter that are bigger and better and more impactful. So it just didn't fit in the box anymore. What actually shifted everything? There are, there are a few things. So one, some of it was time, which that's why I'm in coaching, because I'm trying to save some of that time for other men, because I dealt with addiction for 22 years. And if you're listening to this, guys, and you're in addiction, you don't need to take 22 years. I don't believe that was wasted 22 years. What I learned in those 22 years, I think is extremely valuable that I can share for other men. But I was desperate. I got to a point, if I don't overcome this, because I, I, I started seeing how it's destroying relationships. And it was really robbing me of all ambition and desire and all these different things. I got so desperate. I got to a point where it got pretty dark. There was such a deep depression that was forming in my life that I wasn't sure I wanted to be in this life anymore. And that was not seen by anybody <laughs> outside of in, in, my, in my world. I was really good at faking it at that point. Were you and still the nice guy during Very much time? so. Ooh. Probably more so. Yeah, probably more so than ever. The sadder I became, the more, the nicer, honestly, I became. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it's kind of what was happening. Yeah. Do you think that's because the sadder you became, the more you were seeking safety externally and you knew that the nice guy protection, that's where you were seeking safety? So when we say safety, I think we're going back to like, biologically like caveman type days right of like all right we're in the pack herd mentality the more of us there are the less the saber-toothed tiger can affect us so when we're talking about that like primally there's safety that we all need as human beings so that's why we want to belong i think also like when we talk about addiction it wasn't just pornography i was addicted to being liked i was addicted to fitting in i was addicted to being agreed with there was little shots of dopamine in the same way when my phone gets a notification, bing, that same feeling is the same feeling that I believe I got when somebody liked what I said and approved of me. Everything was external and dependent upon others, which is a really dangerous place to be because everybody else is living their own lives. And shocker, news at 11, aren't just consumed with how you feel and are doing. Stop it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, this may come as a surprise. <laughs> so, uh, so even if they love you, which you know, like even if you and I, you know, have this amazing relationship in that way, you've got your own life to live, 
I cannot expect you to validate me and how I feel every single moment of the day. One, it's not fair to you. And two, it's just not reasonable and it's going to leave me wanting. Yeah, I love the term validation ATM machines. And I Mm -hmm. so see the nice guy as viewing other people as that validation ATM. Like I input an agreeable comment or action or favor and you output validation. It's this transaction. 100%. When you think about the nice guy, people like being around the nice guy, but they don't want to follow the nice guy. And people don't go to the nice guy for advice. Unless they don't really want advice, they just want their opinion and idea affirmed. And so the people that you really go to for like, hey, I really have this big decision, I need feedback, or there's something significant in my life that's going on, I'm not going to go to the nice guy, because the nice guy is just going to tell me what I want to hear. Again, there's just no agency. So how'd you overcome this addiction? A point of desperation, that breaking point. Part of it was plant medicine as well. So. So I sat with ayahuasca, if you're familiar with that. I think there's some amazing things that that is doing right now in the plant medicine world, if you're familiar with it. For those that are listening, I don't think it's the end-all be-all to where this just fixes all the problems, but that helped me because what that does is it kind of forces you to sit with stuff a little bit more than you'd like, which helped me face some of the demons that I was dealing with a little bit there. I have an amazing group of friends and family unbelievable that you're just ride or dies and addiction and personal growth and those things that doesn't happen in isolation. So finally being at a point where it's like, I'm done with the shame, the guilt and all these different things. And then I fully felt I had a moment where it's like, I am forgiven of this. I am loved just my very just the very fact that I exist as a human being in my very essence, not what I do, not from performing or anything like that. The very fact that I am alive means that I have inherent value and worth. And as a result, I am loved. And so even not from other people, like I believe that I was created and that we're not just acts of random chaos. So I think there's a supernatural component of it where I think there's a there's intelligent design behind this whole thing. With that, I, I found connection to what I call God. And then I felt forgiven. I felt loved. And with that, then I actually then started receiving love. When you don't feel like you're lovable and you, you, know, you despise yourself and that kind of thing, you're just going to keep going back to the well of, of addiction, of pain, of hurt. The cure for pain is in the pain. You know, I think that's what Rumi said. I've kind of reverse engineered with a with pain. I now know that hard feelings, like hard things, are actually really, really good. But they're gifts. I think as children, we're taught, oh, you're sad? Don't feel sad. Feel happy. Here's this ice cream cone. Happy is good. Sad is bad. And when you start putting emotions in good and bad categories, you resist anything that's in the bad category. What I started then realizing really quickly then is like, wow, in this guilt and this shame, in anger, in sadness, and in those emotions, that's actually where the treasures are at. Because emotions are, they're just then, if you look at them the right way, they're just indicators for what action needs to take place. That was the big thing for me. It's like, all right, I'm loved. I'm forgiven. Now with that, let's clean the slate here. Now I'm feeling sadness. 
Now I'm feeling anger. Now I'm feeling guilt and shame. Okay. Let's get curious about that now. And curiosity is the greatest tool that any human being has in the entire world. You apply curiosity to any emotion that you're feeling, you will get answers. And so I started applying a ton of curiosity to, to how I feel. And then taking 22 years of white knuckling action towards addiction that did not work. And then starting to figure out now, like, what is working? What's behind this feeling of shame? When did I first feel that? Wow, eight years old. Interesting. What did that make me do? What was the result of that? And I did a ton of work with that. Now that's what I'm passionate about. And I know you are as well, which is, I freaking love you for it, is passion to now step into guys' experiences when they say, I am stuck. I feel hopeless. I am miserable. I've got this seven-figure job here, and I don't want to be here. I am miserable. Or, you know, I feel like I'm really successful, and when I walk into a room, I just don't want to be here. Or everybody seems to like, but I don't like myself. You know, it's like these these types of things I, I know like you and I share a passion for is Let's talk to that guy because I know you and I have a lot of experience on like, man, there's no life there, right? And you may be pleasing everyone around you, but maybe not as much as you think. If you figured out who authentic you is, freed up some of that junk, and then showed up your full self. Energetically, you're going to show up a better version of yourself. Yes. Okay. Thank you for taking us through that. And what do you help guys with now specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think two main lanes. One is addiction that we talked about. There's a handful of guys that I'm working with now, specifically around pornography addiction. We're just knocking it out. It's so freaking awesome, Catherine. When you see these unbelievable guys that are enormously successful, that are doing great things, but then they'll sit down in front of you and they're like, I am exhausted. And I've got this going on and I haven't told anybody this and I don't know what to do. And then 45 days later, they're like, what in the world just happened? It's so exciting because it doesn't need to take 22 years. I take how guys through 90 days. Yeah, 90 how long day does it program. actually take? And honestly, you should see results a lot quicker than that. 90 days is more to cement some things. The second part of that is just, even if you're not an addiction, just guys, the second gear stuck. And this is what you work magic with as well is, hey, I'm stuck. I don't necessarily know if I have like addictions per se that are really, really holding me back, but I just feel stuck. I feel aimless. I feel purposeless. I need a second set of eyes and somebody to see some blind spots here that programmatically we can work at for the next three to six months to get me going in the right direction, maybe get me through some tough conversations, directions of decisions. Yes. Yes. So good. I love coaching for so many reasons, but the fact that someone's life could go from being in active addiction to pornography to not in 90 days, well, less, but let's say 90 days until they're fully back on their feet is mm -hmm. so incredible. It's If you're in addiction, in pornography addiction, everything like that, it usually takes several years for you to be in that addiction, for you to think you actually have a problem anyways. It's like, how do I know I'm addicted? Because most guys are like, oh, I'll go to it once a week. If you're going to it, one, it's just a low vibration activity. I mean, it's just garbage in general. So it's like, why in the world are you going to the garbage can in general? If you want to like zoom out and use that analogy, 
So if you're going to the garbage can and you're ejecting and removing yourself from real life in any way, there's something going on beneath the surface. There's some smoke coming up from the hood, which tells you your car could be running better. Pushing on the gas harder is not going to make that car run better. You've got to stop the car and pop open the hood. And that's what I know you and I have a passion for is just diagnosing that a bit more and getting in there and be like, busted this or blew this. And then let's throw the hood back down. Let's get going. Getting men in action. In our culture, it's all around just like, how do I make myself happy? And how do I make myself feel good and running after pleasure? It really robs us from like our best. It it gets us stuck in this like, well, I'm just going to run after everything that just feels good. And oftentimes the short, quick feel goods rob us from the big overarching things that are really going to make us feel purpose and meaning and fulfillment in our lives. Let's talk about where you're going, what you want. I'll give you another example. I'm working with this one guy. He's sitting down in front of me. He's like, man, like I'm so exhausted with this addiction that he's in. All right. What's like, what's it keeping you from? Why do you even care? And he's like, I just feel like it's taking a lot of energy. That's what he's seeing. He's seeing on a daily basis, it's taking energy from him. What he's not seeing is he hasn't had an intimate relationship, a real relationship in 10 years. He's an enormously successful mid-30s guy. He has no intimacy in any relationships. I keep asking him questions. They're like, man, like, what do you really want? What are you really passionate about? He's like, man, I want a family. I want three kids. I'm asking him specifics on... I want this truck in the driveway and I want this and this and everything. I'm asking him more about the relationship he wants with his future partner, what that relationship's like and everything. His eyes start getting like this big where it's just like this mind-blowing moment of I am never going to have intimacy if I keep going to pornography in this way. It's completely stealing me from really stepping into and fulfilling this thing that I really want because on a daily basis, he's settling for this little fleeting pleasure. He's giving up what he really wants for what he kind of wants like in this moment. Those are the subtle things that addiction can absolutely rob people from. And then they get 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And they're like, wow, that's how it was affecting me. But in the moment, it's like, ah, it's kind of on the side. It's not really a big deal. It is a big deal. You have no idea what it's taking from you right now. You would probably have a lot more ambition and desire and clarity around what you're doing, where you're going in life, if you didn't have this impediment. But instead, you have a governor on that engine right now, and you can only go 30 miles an hour. That car's built for 100. Take that thing off, you know? Also, I think that it's really easy. I notice this in guys a lot, and I've been in this place too, where you're really fixated on the problem. Like the addiction is the problem, or the nice Mm. guy syndrome is the problem. And you're not looking at who would I be without it? Who is on the other side of this? Because it can be so hard to bring our brains to the possibility place when we're in problem fixation. Yet another reason why I love coaching, because a coach can help you get there. But on your own, even spending 30 seconds in possibility opens you up. It takes away from that fixation and it just opens you up. So I'm curious. I want to see a snapshot of before you and now you. So before when you were actively a nice guy and now being a recovering nice guy, I'm thinking about we were at your birthday party this summer. It was such a blast. What 
would be the difference, let's say, between you at your birthday party this summer, a bunch of friends, a grand old time versus you, let's say, five years ago at your own birthday party? What's the difference between those two mats? I like that question. One, I don't think Matt from five years ago would want to be celebrated. And I don't mean like that you need to love your birthday. There's a lot of people that don't love their birthdays and it doesn't necessarily mean anything about you, but I'm okay with being celebrated and I'm okay with somebody saying a nice thing about me. You want to learn a little bit about somebody, give them a compliment. Compliment something true about them that they know is true and then see how they respond. Do they deflect it? Do they deny it? Do they accept it? That's a great yeah. hack to do on a date. <laughs> it is, right? You learn a lot about how somebody views themselves and their self-worth. <laughs> For sure. So uh, five years ago, Matt would not be able to take a compliment, would deflect as quickly as possible, would throw as much false humility out there. as, And even though I like the spotlight to an extent, not in that way. Okay, versus this year birthday party. Who were you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just freaking loving and enjoying every single human that was there. It was a blast. It's just fun. It's carefree. It's more relaxed. It's more, there's freedom in it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So there's something specific that I want to dive into with you. This idea of dirty favors versus clean favors. I love getting into the nitty gritty of nice guys with you because you are such an expert and you know it so intimately. So the nice guys willing to show up for others, do favors for them, give, serve. It is often coming from that transactional place of, well, if I give and if I overgive, I get the approval and return that I need. Resentment follows. But the guy who's the recovering nice guy also shows up for others and also does favors and is also generous. Let's talk about the difference between these two. When I'm coaching someone who is in the nice guy and we're coming to a place where he needs to say no, like someone at work is going to ask him to collab on a project and it's not the right fit for him and he's going to say no. One, he's thinking he's a huge asshole for doing that. And two, he's like, what, am I just going to become somebody who never helps other people? The question then lies. Why is he not an asshole and how can he show up for others in a way that's different? So let's yeah. let's get into this. And that's why I think of it as dirty favors versus clean favors. I think it's a great question, right? Because nobody wants to be an asshole. And so how do I avoid being that asshole? The big thing is there's no virtue in someone that doesn't have a choice. If you don't have a choice, then there can't be virtue because it's like it is what it is. Virtue comes in there being choices and then you choose something that is virtuous. That's agency that the nice guy doesn't possess. He has no choice in the matter because he is afraid that if I don't do this, don't show up, say no to this person, then I will be rejected. And so essentially that other person has a gun to their head. They're being held hostage by this person. And that other person has no idea usually, right? They're just asking a simple question of, hey, do you want to go to this concert with me? They don't want to go. <laughs> they feel bad. This person's not going to have somebody to go with. They start reading into it. Ah, oh, oh, they're going to be alone. I'm going to be such a bad guy. If I don't go, I'm going to say yes. And then they resent it. They, they may even resent that person 
to ask them. And they just wanted to hang out with them. It's such a ridiculous cycle that happens then because they feel like they don't have a choice in the matter. Opposed to, no, I don't want to do that. They're confident enough to know, listen, that person just wanted to hang out with me. I'm not able to do it. We can do something else. But I can say no. There's no virtue in being helpless and being a doormat. Yes, but that nice guy has created that whole scene of being backed into a corner himself. Right? 100%. Like he it's believes a great distinction. I don't have a choice here. So and so is inviting me to the concert and I have to say mm. yes if I want to maintain any kind of social status and if I want to not feel like complete shit about myself. Because I think what happens yeah. if they were to honestly say, no, that doesn't work for me, if that's what's true for them, is they go home and all night they feel like dirt because they're shaming themselves for having said no. You're exactly right. Such as usually the case is we create these prisons ourselves <laughs> with, the, with the false narrative. And I, you nailed it. Absolutely. This is a prison of our own making. Because again, it starts at an early age. We learn what makes people happy and not happy with us. And then we learn to make people happy. And then we don't learn how to say no and to set boundaries and to even plug in with ourselves and know how we even feel and what we even want. That's the danger in the nice guy persona as well is you lose your voice where like you don't even have opinions on things. That's where... I desperately would would want to say, like, get out of this prison of your own making because people want to know what you actually think and what you want to do. And so when you show up, it's because you really want to be there or you're showing up because you're going to really enjoy being there for someone else, too. There is an act of service that comes like you're not just running around just doing whatever you want. You're also really enjoying doing something that you know is going to excite and light someone else up as well because you love that person. This is a sticky place that I notice. Whereas let's say there's a nice guy, he's trying to come out of some of these patterns and a decision is on the table where him saying no might negatively affect other people. Let's say he's asked, hey, can you join in this work project? And he would be a really be a positive contributor to that team, but it doesn't work for him. Maybe he's promised more time at home. Like it just doesn't work for him at that time. And for him to say no, it's going to affect, let's say that team. This ends up being a complex, what do I do? And so what is the version? What's the in integrity version in that decision? There is wisdom and discernment there's nuance to every decision, right? So saying like, I'm only going to be in my integrity, which means I only do things that I want to do, I think is wrong, right? Like putting absolutes on things doesn't make any sense because there's so many layers to every decision that we make. But the nice guy persona is unable to be really wise and discerning because he only has one decision. It's what do I think they want me to do? There's something about energetic, consistency that the nice guy doesn't bring to the table because he is making decisions based on the whim of others and so other people's energy he's not then showing up in any consistent way that would reflect his values or what's important to him absolutely this is why i love when people disagree with me because i know they have agency and i can trust them 
it, there's just a layer of trust that comes with that. I may not even like them, but I respect them. And if you ask most men what they prefer, loved or respected, they'd say respected. To have your own decision-making matrix and ability to be wise and discerning in those moments does garner you respect from others. So if you truly do want to be respected, you have to have your own voice. You have to break out of this nice guy persona that you've built for yourself that has maybe served you well in certain situations, but doesn't generally serve you well today. All right, let's talk about how he can get out of it. So the nice guy who's listening is recognizing himself. He's like, holy shit, I don't believe I have any choices when I need to make a decision. It's just what's going to get me the approval. It's just what's going to make the other person feel comfortable. How do they move out of there? And I have some ideas too, but I would love to hear if somebody came to you and was like, Matt, you got to help me. I know you have a lot of ideas. (laughs) You wrote the book on this stuff. It's a great quote by Alex Hermosi. And he talks about you don't you don't develop confidence by shouting affirmations in a mirror. You do it by stacking up evidence. And that's where the confidence comes from. Most confident people, they're not confident because they just naturally came out of the womb and they're just like, oh, they're just naturally confident. Now there are some naturally more confident attributes for, that people possess, but the most confident people are those that have failed and then have succeeded and then look at that success and they're just like proven like, oh, cool, I can do these things. It's just stacking up the evidence and you've got to start getting those small wins as quickly as possible. So if there's, and this is what I know you're very gifted at, is when you are working with somebody or what are the decisions you have on your plate? What hard conversations need to happen today? What decisions needs to happen today? Not at the end of the week, at the end of the month, today. Chipping away at that every single day, collecting that evidence to where you're a man of action. You're a man of integrity. You do what you say. You can't trick your subconscious. And if you're not making the decisions, you're not putting the action, you know it. Definitely. I love that create evidence for yourself. And it can be with small, bold action. One thing that I think of is like, let's just say the barista hands you your coffee order and it's not what you ordered. This is a great place to just practice. Could you kindly say, hey, I actually got the iced coffee and this is somebody's hot soy latte. Just small, bold action equals evidence. You don't have to blow up your whole life, though. If you do, I'm here for it, too, if that's what is the right move for you. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about how those moments, like you're saying, what are the decisions we need to make today can help create that stack of evidence. But I've distilled down in general, three main things to help the nice guy move out of nice guy syndrome to become a much more authentic version of himself and would love to hear your take. So the first one is figuring out what you want. He may have never asked himself before. And so I always say like, this doesn't have to be rocket science. You can sit down with a pen and a paper and ask yourself, what do I want? And just list it out. Maybe it's, I want to mow the lawn. Maybe it's, I want a chocolate bar. Maybe it's, I want to go to space. Anything is fair game. And it's just to get in the practice of connecting with yourself. So figuring out what you want. The second is saying no when you mean no. And that also requires being connected to what is true for me. Saying no when you mean no. And then the third is building yourself up and learning how to be your own validation ATM machine. 
where you get to be your own number one source of validation and approval. And then you get to let everybody around you off the hook. So those are the three ways that I offer. And you could do those by yourself. Of course, I recommend hiring a coach or having somebody, having a buddy to do it with because we're just so much more likely to make significant growth and change when we have a witness. It's about being connected to yourself and your wants and then being your own cheerleader. I love that. You have to send me those afterwards. The idea that you said like the, the nice guys disconnect from themselves is very true. It's a big piece of why nice guy and addiction tend to go hand in hand because if you lack connection with yourself, you just don't trust yourself. As a result, you're just going to trust everybody else. Any opinions that people have on your life, when you go for advice to people of like, hey, should I take this job offer or this or that, you're going to be imprisoned by everyone's opinions around you then because you will trust their voice more than your voice. And you have no reason to trust yourself because you have no idea who you are even. <laughs> so so it's, of course you're going to trust everybody else because you think they know you better than you know you. On the other side of that is aliveness and yes. real connection and you waking up in the morning feeling like your life is a fit for you. I woke up in the middle of the night last night and for years and years and years, if I would ever wake up in the middle of the night, it was like my mind was like, ha, perfect, let's go. And it would just like kick into every single worry in with the most rapid speed ever. And I woke up in the middle of the night and was just sort of like looking around my room, thinking about the last passage of a book I just read, getting excited for this conversation. And I was like, you know, growth is not all about like becoming this just epic version of yourself. It's about little experiences of your life being more peaceful and mm-hmm. more connected and brighter. Beautifully said. We are all unique, beautiful expressions of life. Every single one of us are. So our very essence truly is it's amazing. It's a miracle. And it's a beautiful thing when you remove that pressure of, I have to produce and create, then I will be accepted and loved and valued. Instead, it's like, no, no, I am accepted, loved and valued. So dang, I got to get to work. And it's this like healthy, fun pressure now that we feel that compels us to showing up and making an impact. It's so important. So what do you say is on the other side? Like if a guy was like, yeah, I sort of feel like I'm in this addiction, but it's serving me right now. What do you really say is on the other side for him? I would say you have no idea what's on the other side. And I don't either. (laughs) And I don't either because I'm not you. Like that person is a unique expression of life, as I mentioned, and I am not him. But what I can positively 100% confidently say is if you are going to any type of addictive behavior and allowing that to exist in your life, you're in second gear and we don't know what fifth gear looks like yet. And that is good news, brother. And I promise you that car is capable of fifth gear. That lights me up. It lights me up too. It's so exciting. 
Okay, Matt, how do people come and find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's Matt Hill 8 and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. And we can put that in the show notes so people can go right Love there it. and find you. Yeah, just shoot me a message. would love to talk with anybody. And I just really, truly want to take a moment just to commend you and appreciate and congratulate and celebrate how you show up for so many men out there and, and, and the guys that you're coaching, the impact you're making, like it's huge. And I love to hear some of the, some of the stories of the impact and result of it. You're seriously changing lives. It's exciting. Thank you so much. I received that. And that makes two of us. <laughs> there you go. You better receive it. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll have you back. Love it. We'll do it again for sure. Thank you so much for listening to No More Mr. Nice Guy. What a treat to have Matt on today. I will share information in the show notes about how to connect with him. If you want to chat with me, send me a message. My Instagram is also in the show notes. If you are interested in one-to-one coaching with me and you want to explore how that might help you get from where you are to where you want to go and see if we might make the right team to help you move forward, there is a link to book a one-hour discovery call with me in the show notes. I would love to have a conversation with you and would love to hear about what's going on in your world. Sometimes when I have these chats with men, they say this is the first one hour long conversation where they feel truly heard and can articulate the kind of life they want to have. If that sounds like something that would benefit you and your world right now, click that link and sign up for a discovery call with me. Thank you so much for being here. Such a treat. Until next week.